So Second Kings right now, chapter 15, and a very appropriate title in so many ways, both in what we're studying, the longevity of the lineage of kings, the sorrowful, if you would, documentation of how sinister and evil they were, a split, divided kingdom which brought sadness to everybody, families broken up, tradition messed up, and really the solidarity of a people that were purposed to walk with God just as well messed up. They just couldn't keep it together because at one point in time, as the citizenry of God in a theocracy that he purposed, they said, you know what? What those other guys are doing looks pretty cool. We like the king thing. We like the chariot concept. They throw really awesome parties. We're just doing these strange worship things. And so you'll understand if you go back in your remembrance of First Samuel, he authoring that book and ultimately the transition that God yielded to from being over all Israel to giving kings an assignment to rule over them. And really out of that, it was just a very short season. The short season was that it came under David's ruling because he had the heart. The others didn't, couldn't get it. And the few that would be remembered for it had just a limited time of influence in it. Most of that came from David's side, which was Judah and Benjamin. And as I've said before, they occupied the city that David had built and put and entrusted to his son, Solomon, lost under Rehoboam. And we looked at this historically that it's going to be close to 400 plus years that this dynasty chronology will ultimately lead to the banishment of most of Israel to Assyria. And so there's really nothing that we look at this going, oh, is it ever going to get out of the muck and mire and the garbage? It will, but it's going to get cleaned up in a foreign nation. And then the yearning of God's people to call upon him and no other God. So the parallel, too, which we ought to see, happens in our country as well. We haven't done all that well. What, 245 years, I think, something roughly that we've been celebrating? We haven't really done all that well. So fast have we proceeded in the ways of man, ditching God, blaspheming God, questioning righteousness, purposing to tailor our society with what are, in fact, carnal and depraved urges and patterns that have nothing to do with being raised in righteousness and adoring one who actually loves us. So 15 opens up, again, moving into the lineage 
of sorrowful kings, the primary ones right now, are on Israel's side, not Judah's. When we say Israel, we think Jerusalem, but actually these guys are the 10 that are in the northern kingdom. And so their capital isn't in what we would say our mind focuses to, which was David and Solomon's kingdom. Judah had, if you would, the better place. They're the lesser, but they had the better. And also in being smaller, they also thought bigger about God. They're actually only the one group in occupying a place of governance that are doing way better than the others. And so you'll see that in a nation. There's one small group that strives and in fact is doing way better than the majority. Therefore, it will tell you something as well. The majority who thinks they're doing well but are actually behaving godlessly will go into a captivity that will change everything about perhaps their vision and dreams and pride. And the most important thing to realize is that it's the arrogancy of kings that brings on the despondency of the people. There are bad people that end up taking positions of great authority, but God has determined that the authority that he gives, he desires that it's under his authority in which there is an anointing. And we talked about that as well on, on Thursday, and we've talked about it and other kinds of things that we have among you, men and women who have been placed in positions of great authority. And we ought to say, that person I will put before God, and may God put that person before us, the people. And not that there's a tag that's desired, but, you know, Ribs is moving in a direction to be a supervisor. He's both a great teacher, biblically. He is, in my opinion, honed and refined for leadership, public servanthood. Will that be where the Lord places him? Well, you pray about it. I think it is, and I think he can do both. But we need to mark those men and women who have the summons to change government back into the hands of God and to do what they're supposed to do, which is to protect the citizenry from invasion of godlessness as well as infringing on the home, the family, the church. These are the men and women that we need to say are to be in place. Here we go. In 2 Kings 15, tricky words, but pretty much you'll see the flow and the pattern is always, really? That's what you're going to hear. In the 27th year of Jeroboam, king of Israel, this would be Jeroboam 2, Azariah, the son of Amaziah, king of Judah, became king. He was 16 years old when he became king, and he reigned 52 years in Jerusalem. So that's a long time in government. And in those 52 years in Jerusalem, it names his mom, 
to some degree for this, only just linking us to uh, half of his parentage, Jecoliah of Jerusalem. In verse 3, notice this. It's interesting. But remember, he's overseeing Judah right now. And here it says, And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord according to all his father Amaziah had done. And repetitive to another several verses back, except that the high places were not removed, the people still sacrificed, burned incense on the high places, and then the Lord struck the king. So it wasn't that he struck him early on. It's that apparently there was a judgment pending for that which he didn't complete, get done. And it says that this striking of him wasn't a death. It was rather a plague. It's the plague of leprosy. The plague of leprosy in the Old Testament pictures that which is subversive or if you would subdural it's underneath the skin we all have if you would the disease by sin leprosy something that hides beneath what others cannot see but what inevitably if it is not taken care of by the blood of the lamb by our faith in god then it does yield what we mentioned, or at least we're able to take a look back in Galatians, the carnal expressions or attributes of sin always does, always will. And so this apparently was that which he gets a commendation for being good. Most of his oversight, he wanted to do good, did do good, but he made an exception in the allowance of evil. Usually that is what happens in civility. There's an exception for evil because we think, well, it's appeasing, it's compassionate. They'll change. It'll work out. You'll see it never works out. It never works out. There can be appeasements parenting your children and it never works out. But it also doesn't mean that a parent, either or both, in sound discipline, necessarily can be guaranteed that that child, having cognition, a soul, personality, spirit, having been raised correctly, can't be persuaded sinisterly by influences that have nothing to do with their rearing. In other words, the only guarantee we have is that the Word of God is true, the Spirit of God has an impassioned desire to see that life has joy and fruit. That's one of them that's manifested for God's glory. And so there's this tenacious warfare that takes place. So this son, with a substantial reign, terminates with the disease of leprosy, and he will be cast away as he dwells in an isolated house. So that's a picture also of what happens when at any time sin is not sought to be forgiven of and condemnation is overwhelming, completely contrary to what God says. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, 
meaning we need to be really careful of that not being our charge of condemning anyone. There's a difference between standing on the principles of spiritual conviction as opposed to condemnation. Condemnation actually implies and means that it's a judgment, and it really means that it's a wrathful in judgment by God. We use it in law. Prisoners condemned to be executed according to the laws of the state, whatever it may be. That condemnation is basically a civil wrath that will lead to that criminal's death, and we would say, rightly so. Rightly so if the criminal has been indeed one found guilty of a crime worthy of death. God made that a part of a penal code. But God never intended for any of us as believers to condemn other believers that fall again under the weight. What we want to do is the weight of his glory. What we want to do is free them in the knowledge that they are forgiven at any time. And for any reason, we can be forgiven. So he set apart in a house. Now we know why, because leprosy in those days was transferable. We've understood a little bit more of it now, it being a pathogen that ultimately is virally introduced, but it's not like you see somebody 10 feet or touch them and they're going to immediately have leprosy. Back then, that was the safety protocol, much like they tried to do with the coronavirus. They separated us. They isolated us. You saw what good that did, right? Meaning that it didn't do a lot of good. That's come to fact now. And what it did do is put the church under great stress and unnecessary duress. It caused great grievances in businesses that were flourishing. And by that, I'm saying that that was a governmental disposition. It may have been made in right intentions. It's just that there are a lot of things that would say, I don't know. And even those who were in charge over those things are now saying, yeah, well, it wasn't necessarily science. It was just a, it was just a reasonable good shot. Six feet just seemed reasonable. That was Fauci that came back and said that. It wasn't based on science. Not No, that wasn't based on science. Huh. What was based on science? And so even that particular part or component of government and overreach, was it of God or was it something else? I think, in my opinion, it's a test of the enemy to see what a believer would do when there's an imposition that separates you from God for a reasonable, if you would, scientific explanation. And all of a sudden, the place that you once came to and the people that you once loved are no longer important in your life. And I'm doing fine, isolated in my house, so that I don't get leprosy from you guys, when in fact, it's the leprosy in their heart that is separating them from us guys. And so this is that which is a picture. It's an important picture. What happens is that one will come up after him, and Jotham, the king's son, was over the royal house, judging the people of the land. Now the rest of the acts of Azariah and all that he did 
Are they not written in the book of Chronicles of the kings of Judah? And yes, they are. It has a different perspective, different presentation. And Azariah, it says, rested with his fathers, and they buried him with his fathers in the city of David. That's the burial for the kings, ultimately overseeing Jerusalem. And then Jotham, his son, reigned in his place. It's quiet there. It moves now to focus on Israel, the northern kingdom king. And so in the 38th year of Azariah, king of Judah, Zechariah, the son of Jeroboam, reigned over Israel in Samaria six months. The ten tribes there in Samaria, that's their capital. Hence, the name when you hear it, Samaritans, should ring a bell because it was in that particular time frame when the ten tribes had dispatched and formed their governance in Samaria, they became known as Samaria. They moved to have a little bit of their Judaism roots brought in, but Jesus would talk to a woman who was indeed a Samaritan, and she was voicing things that were spiritual, but completely errant and wrong. So the history of, again, the Samaritans came when the ten tribes moved in that direction. And they became what? Influenced by culture around them. Plus, they chose to be detached from the city of God. I've said this before. Though it was a divided kingdom, there was nothing that was a prohibition in which they could have said, look, at it. it appears that we're divided. We've got different governments right now. But we have the same God. Can we have an agreement that between you and I, we can come to Jerusalem and worship? Can we get our two kings to just say, we have one God, two different dispositions governmentally, but can we just get together and say, God's still important, he's still our God, and we don't want to do something that duplicates the work over there. We want to be a part of the origin of the work that God started here. We want to have a heart that finds itself easily touched as David's was. We want to sing the same songs. Can't we just be a family and then go our ways governmentally? Because there's a chance that if we can behave like a family instead of divided in politics, maybe we're going to get back to the heart of God. Maybe actually the things that perhaps have divided us or provoke God to move us away from another would be the same thing that God would be inspired to just do a brand new work. I think it's a picture of the way that politics ought to be looked at. Can't we just put our focus back on God, forget the color scheme, forget the scheming, the lying? You know, there's a lot of lying going on, right? There's a lot of scheming going on. These are facts. They're facts because they're politically discovered. And one side isn't necessarily any better than the other side, but there are some things indeed in which another side may be better at lying than the other side who may be scheming. It, how, can, how can we make sense of it? So... It's not really voting the blue, and it's not really voting the red. It's voting God. 
It's voting God. Because though we know that things must change on this earth, the template's set for the return of Jesus. He does give the charge to you and I as believers, occupy till I come. Occupy? Yeah, it means take your position, stay grounded, don't be moved by politics, don't be moved by satanic seduction, stay in your place. Keep me in your place. Hold on to your place, your house of worship. That's the picture that we see. Zechariah reigning in verse 9, contrasting where we just left. He did evil in the sight of the Lord as his fathers had done. He did not depart from the sins of Jeroboam, the first one, the son of Nabat, who had made Israel sin, the guy that, originally was given this beautiful gift. You get 10 tribes. Rehoboam gets to keep the balance due for David's sake. Jeroboam, you get 10. Make it good. Make it happen. Right out of the gate, he blew it. Sent Israel in a spiral into denigration, deprivation, wickedness. And so the rest of it says, the acts of Zechariah indeed, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Israel? This was the word of the Lord, which he spoke to Jehu, another character earlier on, saying, your son shall sit on the throne of Israel to the fourth generation. And so it was. This in essence says that God can tolerate for the sake of his word, people that aren't, in your opinion, worthy of the position. We have to be mindful that it's very difficult at times to say who belongs there. It can be very difficult because we have feelings and we have our own analytics and we have our own persuasions. I remember that there was a song that came out probably in the early 80s. The title of the band still, I cannot understand it, but it was called Tears for Fears. And their song, which was a hit song, Everybody Wants to Rule the World. Everybody wants to rule That's ridiculous. And I thought about it. You know what? I think that's true. We all think that we could do better. And maybe even play the song better. It was kind of a one-hit wonder. And of course, they're not young guys anymore that say, we want to rule the world. They're going, who's going to take care of me? I'm an old man. Because all those guys that sang with passion for their generation, they've become senior citizens. And this was the word of the Lord. Why? Because God said that he'll hold that in place to the fourth generation. God honored his word, even while tolerating those who were intolerably in positions of authority. Moving over, it says Shalom reigns in Israel. So it's Judah, Israel, Israel. Acceptable with consequence, fail, fail. And it moves back in identifying this. Shalom, the son of Jabesh, became king in the 39th year of Uzziah. Uzziah, Uzziah, he was a good king, but he was overseeing Judah. And the other thing that we need to know is that he was also in his conclusion of his 
governance basically moving to exalt himself. You remember that one of the things he did is he took on the role of a priest when he was simply to stay content as a king. That office was not to be shared for anybody that could be priest and king simultaneously, but Jesus. Jesus is king and priest. God never wanted any kind of, if you would, um, distraction to it or what we might say blasphemy in terms of what you think you are when you're really nothing. And so that was his mess up. But at any rate, for Menahem, the son of Gad, went up from Tizra, and it says, came to Samaria and struck Shalom, the son of Jabesh, and Samaria and killed him, and he reigned in his place. So here we have the change of guard, or if you would, by assassination, um, the death of what we, we would call in society a sovereign, not sovereign like God, but over the people as the king would. So there's an assassination. We've had those in our country, haven't we? We've had several attempts that didn't work out that way. I don't know if you knew this. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt was basically a assassination recoverer. He actually was hit by a bullet on a campaign speech. He actually finished the speech while bleeding. He put a towel inside his shirt, and while he was bleeding, he continued... He got down from the podium. He passed out. No one knew it. They took him to the hospital. It was too dangerous to extract, so it remained in him, really, to the end of his life. Pretty fascinating story. There were others as well. We've seen those attempts. You remember Reagan? That was an attempted assassination. He was actually struck with a bullet. Why are people doing that? Well, they're doing it because they're not honoring God and they're not honoring the men that hold positions that are godly. Sometimes people do it to overthrow godless men. But our position isn't to overthrow. Our position is to throw up our hands and to be able to say, God, you know, you know, and you'll tolerate even against my heart and will somebody that you for something that relates to a covenant or a change of geodynamics, you'll do what you will with them. You'll have your way ultimately through them. But it says the acts of Shalom and the conspiracy which he led, indeed they are written in the book of the Chronicles of the Kings of Israel. And then in verse 16, sad note coming up, parallels exactly what we've seen in our country and around the world. Then from Tizra, Menahem attacked Tisva. All who were there and its territory. This is another one that's supplanting, if you would, a king. And because they did not surrender, therefore he attacked it. And notice this sorrowful line, but it's actually contemporary. And the women there who were with child, he ripped open. This is an old picture of what we could say is a contemporary threat that should have never had position, but it's... It's what we would say, that sounds like abortion. And it is. Why would they do that? Why would they be so sinister as to do that? It was to stop a godly population. When there is that intention to destroy the innocence of young life, it is basically to say, we're going to make you irrelevant. You'll be off 
the pages of history or influence within two generations. That's exactly and unfortunately what abortion does. It removes the influence of the next generation to be persuaded by God to make a change that as they grow up say, this isn't working. This is not working. When that generation can't voice both ethics and true spirituality to the generation that preceded them, that got them in this predicament of godlessness and cultural collisions and redefinitions, you've silenced what? You've silenced a moral majority. And therefore you're left with immoral majority. That's precisely the works of what Satan endeavors to do because he knows that those innocent lives are souls that God ordained to be his children and to be highly influential for his purposes. You take them out. You then take the populace out that God desires to both have redeemed, to be forgiven, and to be in heaven with him. It's a terrible thing that was made as an adjudication back in the 60s. Shame on the Supreme Court for that. In what took place under Trump, praise God, there were adjudicators in there who could say, yeah, we're going to take heat on this. And they did, which I still can't imagine how it was even permitted for the judiciary to be picketed, threats posted on their doors, terrible. But the bottom line is, is that in a season in which all of this was happening and condoned by a country, and I'm not saying by us, but I'm saying by a majority of political voices and calling it, which is a lie, as a reproductive issue, millions of babies essentially lost their productivity to change the world for the better. They're in heaven. We don't have to worry about that. But we do have to say, is it really any different? Not too much. Just the attire. Just the vocabulary. But at least there was a move, a position that was taken, judges that were rightfully in order to change that decision and to say, Roe versus Wade was wrong. And we're saying abortion is wrong. But what's happened? Oh, it is? We don't think so. Whatever the high court said, we're not going to listen to, or we'll take it to the lower courts, or we're just going to do our own thing. And so you see this pitting one against the other warfare, when in this case, that adjudication was right to make. Too long delayed, but it was the right one to make. But Satan's still behind the scene saying lyingly that it's about choice. Yeah, it's not. It's far different than that. We are pro-life. We are for life. If the scriptures tell us, before you were even formed in the womb, I knew you, and I have appointed you a prophet to the nations, 
That was Jeremiah that was able to hear that in chapter 1 about verse 4. He was able to hear the voice of God reassuring him that he had a purpose that was put into play before he was even born. You want to talk about encouragement? That's what people need to hear. Before you were even born, formed in the womb, God knew you and has a plan for you. Let him have his way with you. And if you're wayward, then get back in lineage and in line with God's heart. Don't abandon him. He hasn't abandoned you. If you got leprosy, then come to the cross and let it be cleansed from you, washed from you. You don't have to take, if you would, a consolation because of consequence. You say the consequence was hard. The effect is real. But more real than that is God's mercy and his forgiveness. I'm coming back. I'm coming back. So that's basically where it leads us. You may say, is there any instruction, though, with regard to perhaps what the overall influence of this may be. And there are passages which I would encourage you to be able to turn to, but there are a couple that right now I will suggest to you. Go, if you would, to Proverbs 16.4, and we'll be in that very soon in our midweek. Proverbs 16, 4. You need to understand that though there is the prevailing influence of wickedness, which is the reason that this lineage is being presented, God says the Lord has made all for himself. Because remember, before they were wicked, they did have an opportunity to be righteous. We always need to give the benefit of our doubt to God. Before they were wicked, they had the option, opportunity to be righteous. And so, as verse 4 yields to this, yes, even the wicked for the day of doom. Wickedness seems to be prevailing, but they have an opportunity to change and be highly productive. Wickedness is prevailing, but they can change by decision that maybe you would have influence on in their life, and they can change. If not, doom is for them. The wrath of God being poured out on a Christ-rejecting world. What was the cause? Everyone proud in heart is an abomination of the Lord. When you see this happen, it's the indicative of pride in the heart. It went rampant. And though they join forces, none will go unpunished. You can see all of the alliances of evil joining forces, and God says, that's not going to go unpunished. Amir Safadi had a wonderful um, profile of actually what Gaza looked like. About a 12-minute video feed. It looked like modern-day America. I mean, it looked awesome. Parks, just a short jaunt, which would have been to the Mediterranean. Shops, malls, 
fabulous looking fruit stands and merchant areas. And then it went to where it is now, completely in rubble. Did God make an allowance for that? Isaiah 45 verse 7 indicates that God can and does authorize calamity. And so when that godless alliance, Hamas, and who are also known as the Palestinian authorities, chose to subvert the will of God and attack God's people, God permitted on the return for a whirlwind to those who had sown to the wind. And though we look at it and say, that's terrible, God would say, that is terrible. Don't touch my people. Don't touch my church. I watch them, and I am a deliverer of them. And so we have to make sure we keep our hearts in the right place. The right place is in God's hand. The right place is not listening to lies, but understanding the heart of God to deliver a bride to himself and ultimately open up the eyes of his people Israel. Actually, what they're doing in warfare is actually pretty much unheard of. Only the U.S. probably compares to it. The desire to show compassion by making sure there's evacuation, care given, which is no small burden, and then to say, even with a warning, we're coming after you guys, surrender. Surrender and be judged or stay in place and be judged. And so even as you see it in desolation, it's actually a picture of what will happen one day when there is a figurehead on the earth who in spiritual ways will be causing such devastation, but whom many people will say, he's our savior. No, he's not. He's not your savior. You're left behind perceiving he's your savior because you didn't get caught up to your savior.